Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we are uh, just again, we're, we're, we're humbled and grateful to be able to be in your presence. And we pray that you would open up our hearts tonight, that we would honor you as we're looking to your word, that, uh, that you would just speak to us, that you'd speak, uh, just speak your truth into each one of our hearts, God. Please have your way with us and be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Wednesday nights, we are doing a recap of what we're doing through the Bible, uh, through the week as individuals. And I need to clarify, I made two mistakes last time I taught. Uh, I was talking about how over the next couple weeks, I'd probably teach a little bit differently because I was coming up on Job. First mistake I made was I forgot I was going to be out of town. And so Larry spent the whole thing going, wait a second, is he doing it or am I doing it? Because I was planning. But, um, so that was mistake number one. And... Larry did it last week, and I, th I thought it was great. But um, mistake number two was I kind of um, insinuated that it is extra hard for the Lord to speak to me through the book of Job. And I guess the Lord decided that he wanted to prove me wrong. So, um, so I've been just really loving going through the book of Job this year. And uh, even as I'm going through it, remembering that I always dread the book of Job getting up to it. And then once I start the book of Job, you know, it is the word of God. And there's still all kinds of just amazing insights to glean from it. Um, that doesn't necessarily make it the easiest book of the Bible to glean from, but it's nonetheless, it's there. It's very relevant. And so tonight we're going to be looking at the book of Job primarily. Um, so, and just while we're at it, next week, uh, we're going to start Job chapter 32. And we're going to then wind up going all the way to Psalm 23. So we're heading out of Job into the Psalms, which I think will be really cool. Um, but, you know, Job, as the quick summary statement, right? Job is um, it's sort of God's explanation of suffering, right? And God's explanation of suffering is that we don't need an explanation, right? The, the Bible gives us really very few answers as far as why do bad things happen, Right? It's, it's a reality of the world we live in. Um, you know, we understand that, that the world is cursed because of sin, and that there's consequences that come from that. And so there's sometimes we can wrap our head around it. You know, we can say, I did this, and therefore this happened. And we can say, okay, I can, you know, that makes sense. I can rationalize a little bit that I am reaping a consequence of what I sowed. But sometimes uh, life just happens. Right? And sometimes life is not fair. and Sometimes life is just flat out hard. And Job is a story like that, where we get to see uh, somebody going through an, an incredible challenge that he didn't des deserve necessarily. Um, you know, we all deserve eternity in hell as sinners. But it wasn't like Job had sowed a specific uh, sin that he's now reaping the results of. It's like, no, life is hard. And Job has a rough go. Right? Which is which ought to be encouraging for each one of us because we all have challenges that will arise in life, right? And it's important when a challenge comes, we should ask ourselves briefly, is this the result of a bad decision in my life? And if so, we should correct it. But if not, then we shouldn't feel guilty over it. It shouldn't be this constant, well, maybe I didn't confess enough, or maybe I'm, you know, it should be okay. No, maybe this is just life, right? And that's okay because the Bible does not give us a lot of clear answers for why do things happen, right? At the end of Job, the Lord is going to show up and he's going to start talking. And Job, is, Job and his friends have spent uh, about 30, 35 chapters at this point talking about, well, why do bad things happen, 
right? And Job has his theory, and his friends have their theories. And God shows up, and God never answers the question, right? What God does do is offer answers for who God is, right? So the the Bible does not really give us answers for why do bad things happen, but the Bible does give us answers for what do we do when bad things happen. So we don't get the full answer in in its entirety, and we won't on this side of heaven, but what we do have is that anchor point to say, okay, I don't get the answer right now. And it's like Larry said last week, right? God does not owe us an explanation, right? He does not. He's God, and we are not. And it's that simple. God doesn't owe us an explanation, and so we don't get that answer. And, and you don't have to like that as a reality, but it is life. It, it's what the Lord has offered us. The Lord is not saying, I will answer every problem you have. What he's saying is, I am big enough to be bigger than every problem you have. And are you willing to rest in that, right? Are you willing to rest in something other than an answer, okay? Are you willing to rest in me? And so we get to see in the book of Job, we get to see kind of that perspective, okay? But the book of Job, as I was reading through it, as I've been reading through it this year, what's really stood out to me is Job, Job and his friends, as they're processing, okay, watching their dialogue and just their mental processing, it, Job is the picture of what happens when we try to live life without a firm grasp on the Word of God. All right? Because if you read through Job, especially if you haven't read through Job a lot, there's all kinds of spots where you're like, you know, this kind of, this almost makes sense. Right? Like, this is, this is, he's kind of saying something right, and then you see the other spots in the same chapter where you're like, I know that's not right. But it's coming out of the same guy's mouth, and it's both in the scripture, so what's the balance, right? And so Job, as we're looking at it, Job, both both from Job's side and from his friend's side, Job is the story of what happens when we try to live life and we try to answer life's questions with a okay grasp on the word, right? With with, uh, It's like we know parts of the word, we know part of who God is, but we don't know all of it. Right? When, when we don't own it in a personal way. You know, we, we've seen, you know, Bible verses on plaques, and we've seen, you know, posts on, on Instagram or whatever, but we haven't owned the word personally. Right? So that's the challenge of Job. And as we're looking at Job, we get to see that problem from really two different sides. One is Job's side. Um, one is, okay, how do I deal with problems with an with a improper grasp of the word of God? The other is, how do I encourage or discourage my friends with problems, uh, with an improper grasp of the word of God. Okay, and so you have Job and his friends. Now, I'll just say right off the bat that I'll cut Job a little bit of slack because I have never been through anything remotely close to what Job went through, right? I mean, you know, Job in one day loses everything he owns, every child, every piece of property, he loses everything except his wife. And it would appear from the text that that wasn't really like a bonus that she stuck around, right? Um, so, Job, I mean, Job had hard life. He then proceeds to get sick to the point that his friends see him and weep, right? I mean, you know, I've seen pictures of, you know, I've seen pictures of the Nazi death camps when they were liberated. I've seen, you know, creepy pictures of what the human body can do as it falls apart, but I've never had a friend go through anything like that, right? So Job is, he loses, he has this huge emotional pain, and then he has this physical pain that just has got to be compounding all that agony, Right? To the point that he's like, his body's deteriorating. Okay? And so I'll cut Job a little bit of slack and say, 
you know, when Job is saying these things that are inaccurate, to be fair, I really can't say, well, here's what I would have done in that situation. Because I've never been in that situation, right? I mean, you think about, really for all of us, I mean, well, I mean, we've all had various levels of trials, right? And some of us have had way more serious trials. But, you know, I just look at my own life and I'm like, okay, what are my biggest trials, right? Like, um, I mean, I haven't made as much money as I would have liked to have made, you know? I mean, it's just, it, there's just not a lot, honestly. We're just, we're so blessed in, our, in, our, in the life we get to live so often, right? So I can cut Job a little bit of slack, but on the flip side, I look at his friends and I say, you know what? N- probably none of us will have the chance to, f- to fully experience the pain Job went through, right? Uh, I mean, we'll all have pain, right? But I think all of us will have a chance to minister to a friend who is suffering. And so in that sense, um, you know, I'll cut Job's friends a little less slack and say, you know what, these guys, you know, the, the smartest thing they say is when they show up to visit with Job and it says they're quiet for the first seven days. They're just there mourning with him, right? That's, that's, the, that's the wisest thing they're going to say. Once they start talking, it's all downhill, okay? But overall, we're looking at this. So the book of Job is the story of what happens when you don't have a complete grasp on the word of God. So in Job, we get to see it from these two different perspectives. And remember, as we're reading this, that Job and his friends are close, but they're wrong, right? And that's, that's really where the danger is. And that's honestly, that's where um, I think Satan is happy to get us there. He's happy to get us close to the truth, as long as we're still not at the truth, right? He's happy to get us reasonably sure that we know kind of who Jesus is, um, you know, uh, and he'll get us comfortable enough to say things like, I'm good with the man upstairs, whatever on earth that means, right? Um, I should say whatever on heaven that means. But anyways, um, you know, so he's, he's okay getting kind of close as long as we're still wrong, right? Satan is okay. Satan's the father of all lies, and the best lie is the one that's almost true, right? And as we watch this, and we're going to see um, I really love how one pastor said it. He said, the great problem with the church today is that not that the church is illiterate, it's that the church is illiterate. It's not that Christians can't read, it's that they don't read, right? It's not that we don't have access to the Bible, right? And there are some places in the world where that's still a real challenge. But the reality is, especially in our current culture as Americans and um, just in the 21st century, if we don't have a firm grasp on the word, it's because we have chosen to not have a firm grasp on the word of God, right? Everyone prioritizes, and we have that opportunity. And so the great challenge is not, are we illiterate in the scriptures? It's, are we illiterate? Are we without knowledge of the scriptures? So as we're looking at Job, we're, we're going to just look at a couple spots tonight that I think highlight this a little bit. Um, and so a couple of quick ones, and then we'll, we'll lock in a little bit. Um, Chapter 11, you don't have to turn there necessarily. We're going to wind up turning to chapter 16. That's where we'll do most of our parking. But um, chapter 11 is close by. So if you want to go to chapter 11, um, at this point, Job has talked. His first friend Eliphaz has talked. Job has gone back and talked. And now um, Job's second friend Zophar is going to answer. And chapter 11, verse 1, Then Zophar the Naamathite answered, quote, Shall a multitude of words go unanswered? And a talkative man be acquitted? And he says, Job, you know, you're talking so much, I've just, I just, you can't let this go. Right? So when, when he asks a rhetorical question, should a multitude of words go unanswered? What's the answer? 
Uh, sometimes, yes, right? Zophar is saying, hey, look, you're talking, and I've just got to answer. And if you want even a better example, if you go to chapter 20, verse 3, Zophar goes even a little further. And in verse 3, he says, I've listened to the reproofs which insult me, and the spirit of my understanding makes me answer. Job, you have insulted me to the point that my intellect now has to respond, right? I cannot let your inferior logic stand in the way of my superior reasoning. So I am going to explain to you right now, Job, why you are wrong. And you know, if you got a friend who's suffering, that is really not the best, that's really not the best approach. Even if your friend is, uh, even if he's suffering, I would say even because of his sin, right? There's a point in time at which you can rebuke someone, and, and the Bible gives guidelines for that. But especially if it's not, if it's really not in your problem, Right? If he's just being totally, you know, stubborn-headed about the whole thing, Proverbs says when a wise man rebukes a fool, the fool's going to rage or he's going to laugh, but there's no peace either way. Right? So if your friend is a complete fool and he will not stop talking about he's right, and you say, should this many words go without an answer? The biblical answer to that question is yes. Right? Now, Zophar doesn't really get that because Zophar is trying to answer life without a firm grasp on the word, right? And you could say I'm picking on these guys because the whole Bible hadn't been written down. But be that as it may, I'm talking to us tonight, right? And so, I, you know, I hope Zophar's in heaven. It says at the end that the Lord forgives him so he can correct me when I get up there because he's evidently got a lot to say. Um, but, but Zophar's got this hang-up where he's like, I've got to, you know, I have to make sure that people understand just how smart I am. Right? And so we need to, you know, we need, we need to clarify this. And then it goes on in verse, in chap, back in chapter 11, verse 13, Zophar says, If you would direct your heart right and spread out your hand to him, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and do not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then indeed you could lift up your face without moral defect and you would be steadfast and not fear. Zophar says, Job, it's so simple. All you have to do is never sin. And then you and God will just have this great relationship. Right? I mean, he's, is he, he's, he's technically right. Okay? I mean, if I directed my heart right and spread out my hands to the Lord and put away every iniquity and I didn't let any wickedness in my life, then yeah, I could, like I said in verse 15, I could lift up my face without moral defect. But what's the problem? What's the problem? We're all sinners. Right? Zophar's solution to Job is, Job, perfect yourself. Job, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're a basically good human being. Right? You can, you can conquer this, Job. You just need a little bit of a talkative friend to, to really get you to the next level. And you can really, you can really, you know, you can nail this thing. Right? Well, what's the biblical answer? Well, it says, all have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Zophar's answer is, hey, Job, just make yourself perfect and then you can have fellowship with God. And God's answer is, no, 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 no. That's the whole point of the gospel is that while you weren't perfect, I came and took care of everything. Right? So now it's not about can you make yourself perfect? It's about can you let me perfect you? Right? So Zophar is close, right? He's not totally wrong because if Job could make himself perfect, then Job could have a great relationship with the Lord. Swell. 
right? But Zophar is missing the point. Why? Because Zophar is trying to answer life without a perspective that's rooted in the Word of God. So that's Zophar. Now we're going to jump over to chapter 16, and we're going to see Job. And Job, um, like Zophar, uh, except Job, Job's like Zophar in that he's got an incomplete picture, but Job um, is also a little more emotional, right? And, and again, I said earlier, you know, I could cut him a little bit slack because I've never been through that. But Job, in a couple spots, Job really starts to lose sight of what he's saying. And this is one of those spots. He says in chapter 16, verse 6, If I speak, my pain is not lessened. And if I hold back, what is left to me? You know, he's like, why bother talking? But hey, I'll keep talking. Verse 7, But now he has exhausted me. He's speaking of the Lord. You have laid waste all my company. You have shriveled me up. It has become a witness. And my leanness rises against me. It testifies to my face. Verse 9, His anger has torn me and hunted me down. He has gnashed at me with his teeth. Uh, verse 11. God hands me over to ruffians and tosses me into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he shattered me, and he has grasped me by the neck and shaken me to pieces. He has also set me up as his target. His arrows surround me. Without mercy, he splits my kidneys open. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks through me with breach after breach. He runs at me like a warrior. I've sewn sackcloth over my skin. I've thrust my horn in the dust. My face is flushed from weeping. Deep darkness is on my eyelids. Although there is no violence in my hands and my prayer is pure. Job says, you know what? I am darn close to morally perfect. Thank you very much so far. And the problem is not my imperfection. The problem is that God is using me for target practice. Right? Job actually says that right here. He says, he has set me up as his target and his arrows surround me. Job says, I'm like the guy at the circus, you know, who's standing like this, and they're supposed to shoot the pattern around you. I said, God is hitting me, right? God is shooting me because he wants to. God uh, has exhausted me. His anger has torn me. He has gnashed at me with his teeth. God hands me over to the ruffians. Job says, this is my reality, guys. And again, Job is trying to answer life's problems without a firm grasp on the word of God. Right? So Job is going through suffering saying, this is what the answer is. This is the best I have to come up with. Right? This is what God is like. This is what God is doing. And I look at this and I think, wait a second. How does that work when, when Jesus describes himself? Right? In John 10, Jesus describes himself. He uses an analogy of a shepherd uh, looking out for his sheep. And... Jesus says in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd, who's not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. And he'll flee because he's a hired hand. And then down in verse 15, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. So Job's over here dealing with, admittedly, again, a really hard life situation, right? But as he's processing this, his answer is, you know what? This is because God is just unfair. God is unjust, right? God is using me like an object, right? God is using me. And, but Jesus describes himself and says, no, I'm the good shepherd, right? I'm the guy who feeds you. I clothe you, right? I lay down my life for you. In uh, Luke, whatever chapter it is, Jesus reads from Isaiah, and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
right? To proclaim liberty to the captives, to bind up the broken, right? Sight to the blind, to, to proclaim the day of the Lord, right? That is not a God who is using his people for target practice, right? David in Psalms is going to write about, we're going to get there next week. He's going to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's going to make me lie down in, pasture, in green pastures. He's going to lead me beside still waters. He's going to restore my soul, right? That is not the description of God that Job has. And so Job is trying to answer life's questions with an incomplete view of the word of God. Do you, do you see how, you know, having this view, having a biblical view of the Lord, having a, a, a a solid understanding of the word of God, it will not impact the amount of pain we go through, right? Knowledge of the word of God does not lessen pain in life. But knowledge of the word of God, a, a dwelling of the word of God, will impact our ability to handle pain, right? It will impact our ability to respond when life happens, because life will happen, right? Um, you know, it says, the Lord causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. It rains. That doesn't matter if you're a sinner or if you're righteous in the eyes of God. It still rains. Right? It's not, the rain is not, you know, it's not block by block on the city street. Clouds come across and it drops rain. Okay? And so, life will still happen. Life will go on. But if we are grounded in the word of God, then we are equipped to deal with it. So, you know, Job has, Job, as we're, especially as we're going to be wrapping up the book of Job here in, in the next week, Job has really two complaints specifically. And one is, my circumstances are just unfair. And the other is, God is unfair. Right? And the first one, you would have to actually concede, he's right. Job's circumstances are not the product of his own, of his own doing. Right? He didn't. He didn't ask for him. He really, it, it, Job, it's really not fair, right? And neither is life. But the problem is because Job is not grounded in the word, he can't then, he then extrapolates that to say, well, if life is unfair and God's in charge of all life, then therefore God's unfair, right? But he misses the break that happens when we can say, no, life is unfair because the world is cursed by sin. And that means there are ripple effects that happen that we just can't always understand. But in spite of that, God is still God, right? In spite of that, God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? When Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, that was true then. That was true in the time of Job. That was true 100 years ago, and that's true today, right? When Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives, that was true then, that's true today. So the question in life is not, the question it really is, what do we do when God doesn't live up to our expectations, right? And I, um, I love how um, Gene Edwards uh, is, a, is a Christian author, and he said, you know, really the question is, are you willing to serve a God that you don't understand fully, okay? And as you think about it, a, a great place where my mind always goes is John the Baptist, Right? John the Baptist, he knows Jesus is the Messiah. He saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus. Right? John knows he is the, John himself is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. John knows Jesus is the Son of God. But John gets in prison. And all of a sudden, he's still in prison. 
And this is not panning out the way I thought it was supposed to. And so John sends messengers to Jesus and says, hey, um, are you still the Messiah or do we need to find somebody else, right? Did I, when the Holy Spirit came down on you, was that like sun in my eyes or was that for real? And what he's, what he's really, you know, he's, he's kind of asking it nicely, but he's really saying, hey, would you mind living up to my expectations, right? And the Lord's answer is go tell John the blind see, the lame walk, and the poor of the gospel preach to them. Jesus does not answer John's question, right? Jesus says, hey, look at the, basically Jesus says, look at the signs yourself. And then Jesus says, and blessed are you if you are not offended because of me, right? Blessed are you, John, if you can take what I'm saying, if you can take this incomplete answer or this, you know, really it's, it's a different answer, right? John's saying, are you the Messiah? And Jesus is saying, that's not the question, right? That is, that's not the question because that's the reality, the question is, are we willing to recognize it? Okay, and so that's the challenge for Job. That was the challenge for John. That is going to be the challenge for each and every one of us at some point in life, whether that's right now in the middle of a situation or whether that's at a future point in time that's still coming that we haven't fully foreseen yet, okay? But as we're, as we're living with that awareness and kind of that, you know, that, okay, so I don't want to be like Job, I don't want to be like his friends. I really don't want to be even like John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest human being ever born, right? Um, you know, that's one of those, that, that still blows my mind, that Jesus would actually say, John is the greatest human being that ever lived. And John is the guy who says, would you mind doing what I think you're supposed to do? Right? So, so if we don't want to do that, well, well what's, what's, the, how, what's the answer? How do you prepare? How do we equip? How do we get ready for this great what if that, that is coming, right? For this thing called life. Well, the, really the go-to verse, and I could pull so many dad lines right now if I wanted to, but I won't. Um, go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. The book of Colossians um, it's been said it's, it's the most Jesus-centered book of the entire Bible, which is a pretty big statement because every book of the Bible is Jesus-centered. But Colossians, Paul basically starts saying hello and then gets distracted talking about Jesus and really doesn't stop until the end of the book. But he, you know, he reminds us of who Jesus is. And he's just saying, okay, so now that we remember who Jesus is, let's talk about some responses, right? So if you know who Jesus is, in chapter 2, he says, don't get taken captive by empty philosophy and deception. Right? If, and so, which is a great thought. Right? If you, don't want, if you want to live a life with a firm grasp of the word of God, instead of like Job or his friends, with an incomplete grasp, well, a good, first, a good step is don't get taken captive by empty philosophy. Right? Job's friends are brilliant. Right? And Zophar told us himself. Right? Um, Job's friends are super smart. But, but it's kind of empty. Right? And, and when a super smart guy tells Job, Job, if you would just perfect yourself, this would all be so simple. It's really, uh, that's just hollow. Right? That doesn't do anything for Job. So, so we don't want empty deception. We don't want empty philosophy. So chapter 3, uh, verse 16, actually, well, we'll back up. Chapter 3, verse 14. Oh, let's back up a little farther. Chapter 3, verse 12. So, 
And so it's kind of like a therefore, right? When you see it, put it in context of what's, what's coming now. This is coming as a thought related to a past thought. Well, the past thought is, remember who Jesus is, okay? And who's Jesus? He's the good shepherd, right? So, verse 12, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So Paul says, so, right? So, let the word of God dwell in you richly, right? And while you're at it, praise the Lord. That's really, that's really the summary of, of, of verse 16, right? That is not complex, which is great because I don't have to stand up here and come up with some sort of, you know, fancy formula. I can say, if we want to live a life that's more grounded than Job or his friends, we should be praising the Lord a lot and we should be letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. I love... Um, I heard a, a worship leader talking earlier this year, and he was talking about this idea of letting the word dwell in us. And he used the analogy. He said, if you're a hot tea drinker, okay, and you drink hot tea, and you come over to my house, and I'm going to make you a cup of tea. Okay, I heat up the water until it's, you know, until the kettle's doing its whistle thing. Pour it in the cup. Take the tea bag. Dip it in. Hand you your tea. That's an awful cup of tea, right? That is like the worst way on earth to make a cup of tea. If I want a good cup of tea, I'm going to put that bag in the water and let it sit, right? And, and experts can time this to a, to a you know, science of minutes and seconds per tea bag or whatever. But, but I cannot dip it in, throw it away, and say, there's your tea. That's not tea. You can call it something else, but it's not tea. It's barely water at that point, right? But if I want tea, I'm going to let that tea bag steep right? We use that word, steep. It means it's sitting, right? And it's soaking in, right? So if you want the word of Christ the, to dwell richly, right? If we are just, you know, dipping the word, there's your, there's your Christian living for the week, right? <laughs> right? I mean, that's like, that's what you call ineffective living, Right? That is, that is how to live life as a defeated Christian. That is how to be taken captive by empty philosophy and deception. Right? That is how. If you can just get yourself a little bit of word, right? You know, a little, you know, um, you know, plaque on the wall kind of level of scripture. That's like, it's, you know, or it's, it's, it's like, I heard a pastor say, it's like vitamins. Right? Your vitamins are great. Take your vitamins. Whatever. But you need to eat food. Right? You, nobody has a diet of, well, I have, my, you know, I have my eight pills for Monday. I'm good for the day. Right? Nobody does that. You do that, whatever. If, if you got eight or nine or 12, whatever, that's, that's your business. But, but nobody stops there. Right? We need food. Right? Food is a great thing. Um, 
So when we live this life of like, you know, tidbit Bible, we're going to be like people who are only eating vitamins, right? Like, ooh, we got some good stuff. No, we need some meat, right? We need some real biblical truth, and we need it on a regular basis, right? We're Americans. We like our food three times a day, right? We do not want four M&Ms in the morning, and then (laughs) see you tomorrow morning for five M&Ms if you got plenty of time, right? We want food. We want a lot of it. And we want more of it, right? We're going to keep coming back. We're going to keep showing up because we like our food. Well, the word of God is like that, right? And so we should be living a life grounded in the word of God as if it's our food because it is. Because Jesus, like Jesus said to Satan in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, right? Every word of God. And that's not, that's not by most. That's not by the popular ones or the easy ones or the ones that are short and easy to memorize, right? It's every word of God. And so as we're, as we're just living life, right, don't live life trying to get through the word of God. Don't, don't you know, sometimes, and I, we can all do this, but sometimes we, you know, we show up at church to sing our songs and then get to the teaching or get to the hangout or the fellowship, whatever, you know, or we show up, well, whenever, you know, I and mean, usually they're going to do five songs so we can show up a little late, or, you know, we'll get a, one or two, right? Paul says, no, no, you let that stuff dwell in you and you sing, right? You sing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. You praise the Lord. You let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? That's how we live an effective life. That's how we become equipped, right? And dwelling like that with the Lord, it's a day-by-day thing. It's a personal thing, right? It's like they're between a buffet and a home-cooked meal, right? Buffets are nice once in a very, very long while, right? By and large, good food is like made in small batches, Right? The word of God, if it's going to impact us directly, it's going to, need to happen on a personal, small-scale level. Church is great. Church is fantastic, right? The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of the brethren. So church is awesome, right? There's something that is really amazing that happens when we can collectively praise the Lord and collectively study the word. But church is a great complement to what should be happening naturally in our lives, right? Church is like a gas station. You go to a gas station to get gas for what purpose? so you can drive, right? Nobody goes to gas stations because the bathrooms are so nice or because the food is so fantastic, right? Uh, you, you go to a gas station to get gas and you get gas so that you can then drive, right? Church is like that, you know? We come to church because it's important because we do need that refueling that happens as a community, but that is so that we can then go out, right? Dwelling with the, with the Lord is not going to happen in its entirety once a week or twice a week, right? I mean, I'm thrilled to death that you guys are here on a Wednesday night. But, but this is not going to suffice, right? If you want to be an effective Christian, if you want to be fully dwelling in the Word of God, it's going to have to happen personally. And so for each one of us, it's got to be a personal thing with the Lord. And so I would just, you know, tonight is not really some sort of complex, profound truth. It's really very straightforward. And that is dwell with the word of God on a personal level, right? Become friends with God, right? Don't become friends with the building or a system or, or a church or a culture, 
right? But become intimately acquainted with the Word of God and let the Word of God impact your life, right? Let that fill you up. Let that be your sustenance. Let that be what carries you through life, right? And then just, just tangentially, uh, this is just kind of on my heart, um, Psalm 46.1, because I really don't know where everybody's at uh, as far as different struggles and, um, you know, different challenges in life. But I was just, I was reading through Psalms this morning and kind of reflecting on, you know, the word of God and dwelling on it and some of that and just thinking through some things for tonight. And Psalm 46.1 just really stood out to me. So I just wanted to kind of share that with us collectively as we're wrapping up as maybe just a, a reminder, hopefully an encouragement, but in that same vein of just watching, you know, wanting to dwell in the word of God, a reminder of part of that. And Psalm 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And what really stood out to me was that word present. Because when we're in a situation, right, when we're in life, it's very, very easy for each one of us, myself included, to think about God will get me through this. Or, you know, once I get through this, my relationship with the Lord will get to this status. And we tend to think of God in a future tense when life gets hard. Okay, at least I do. But Psalm 46 says, no, no, God is our refuge and our strength. God is our present help. And so, if, when, we're, when we're talking about letting the word of Christ dwell in you, it's not just to prepare you for then, right? It's, it's because right now, God is wanting to communicate with us, right? It's because we have fellowship with Christ right now. And so don't, don't, don't lose sight of that, right? Don't, don't get obsessed with, well, I want to get to this level spiritually. I want to do this. You know, set goals, whatever. Look forward, right? But don't ever stop looking right now, right? Because God wants to work in each one of our hearts right now for his glory. So, with that being said, dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you just for, uh, for the way you've put it together, God, that you could uh, give us a book like Job that, um, can be so daunting in some ways and yet still has so much application for our hearts today. I pray that you would, um, that you would just help it to go, go deep into our lives, that it would impact us in a, in a profound way. I pray that we would have that hunger for your word. I pray that we would be um, Christians who, who grasp the entirety of your word. God, we want to pursue the meat of the gospel. We never want to... Uh, we never want to get casual with your word. We never want to be flippant with it. God, we want to, to really see your word impact our lives. And so I just pray that you do that. I pray that you would uh, be glorified in our midst. Please just have your way with us, Lord. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.